We're in the second week of our Marriage 2.0 series, and uh, I understand and realize that this week in, we are, we are addressing a controversial, polarizing topic. It's a sensitive topic because it impacts many of our relationships that we have with people who are in our lives. We're talking about same-sex marriage, but you can't talk about same-sex marriage without addressing the issue of same-sex attraction. So that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few minutes together. I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to stick it out. And I say that because every week I get emails from people that say, you know what, I was there at your service, but I had to leave because you made a statement, and then they went on to let me know how they disagree with the statement. But if they would have stayed the entire time, they would have heard the balance to the statement that I made. And so I would just encourage you, regardless of what you hear, if you disagree with it, if you don't like it, at least stick it out. I mean, how many times have we sat in, under a college professor who was as whacked out as he could be, right? And he said something stupid, but we didn't get up and walk out like we weren't adult, adult enough to handle it. So let's put our big boy panties on and let's just, let's just stick it out. Let's just stick it out this weekend. And uh, I want to remind you as we get started of what our mission statement here is, at Hope is. It's love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, that really means this. And if you're new to Hope, I, I, I'm telling you, we love you where you are. We don't care what kind of baggage you bring in here with you. We're going to love you where you are. But you know what? We don't want you to stay where you are because we believe God has a wonderful plan for your life. So we want to be able to come alongside of you and encourage you to become that person that God uniquely created you and designed you to be. So we're going to be talking about this topic. And uh, to do that, we have a very, very special guest with us this weekend. Uh, would you give a warm hope welcome to Mr. Sam Alberry? Sam, good to have you with us this weekend. <laughs> Sam is the pastor of St. Mary's Church. It's located about 30 miles outside of London, England. And uh, that, when you hear him speak, you'll know right away he is not from Fuquay. Okay, so that, oh, let me just get that out. He pastors a church that was founded in the 1100s. Uh, he was not the founding pastor, by the way. But he is there and he is serving faithfully there. And Sam, it is great to have you with us this weekend. And uh, this is our fourth time we've been through this. And it's just been a pleasure uh, having these conversations and discussions with you. Um, let me just ask you, what makes you uniquely qualified to, to be here and help address this topic with us this weekend? Hi, it's good to, to join you. Um, I'm a pastor, so part of my, my role and part of my vocation is to, to teach the Bible, to try and equip Christians in how they think and live on different issues. But with this particular issue, it's a personal one for me. Um, for as long as I've had any kind of sexual feeling, it's been same-sex feelings that I've experienced. So, so this is an issue I, I come to as a Christian from the inside. It's been an issue for me. And when you begin to talk about this, obviously you're, you're not speaking from theory. Mm. You're, you're speaking from someone who's lived this out. When did you first begin to realize that, that you had a same-sex attraction? Um, I'm, a, I'm quite slow as a person, so it took me quite a, a few years to, to sort of realize what was going on in, in my own life. Um, so during my teenage years, this is well over 20 years ago, so homosexuality wasn't on the radar in the way that it is now. It wasn't such an obvious thing to be thinking about. But I, I do remember there were, in hindsight, there were a number of indications that this was an issue for me. Uh, when I was about 14, I guess, at school, my... My best friend at high school announced he'd, he'd just started dating a girl. I remember everyone else was kind of cheering him and high-fiving him and that kind of stuff. And I remember just feeling suddenly devastated in, inside that he was now going out with someone. 
Um, I'd, I'd never consciously thought of him in a, a sexual kind of way, but I'd evidently developed a very deep emotional attachment to him and therefore found, found it devastating just the thought that he was now close to someone. So that was, with hindsight, that was one of the first kind of clues mm. as to, to what was going on. And I became very aware in the, in the months and years after that that I was just developing in a, in a different direction to most of my friends. Um, I was in an all-boys high school, and so almost all the conversation was about girls, who people liked, who people were with, who people were pursuing. And I remember sort of thinking at the time, I'm just, I'm just not into that in the way that everybody else is. I couldn't get as excited as everybody else was about it. Um, I wasn't a Christian then, nor were my friends, and, and one of them one day brought in a, a porn magazine. This, this dates how old I am. It was a, a magazine uh, back at, in those days. And uh, he passed around the group of friends, and again, I just looked at this stuff and thought, I'm, I'm not as interested in this as, as my friends seem to be. I had good, good female friends who I enjoyed hanging out with and loved to bits, but just didn't feel the same romantic or sexual kind of attraction that, that my friends seem to be experiencing. So it took me a, a while, but eventually I, I started to realize I was having very strong sexual feelings towards other men rather than towards women. And you're a young teenage boy, so as what's, what's going on in your mind and what kind of emotions are you experiencing as, as this becomes a reality? Yeah, so as, as <clears throat> I began to realize, I guess around the time I turned 18, so around the time I was beginning to finish high school, and so at that stage in my life, I was thinking, well, okay, this seems to be the way things are going inside me. Um, I'd, I'd already planned to, to head off to university, and so I was already just beginning to think, maybe this is a, a lifestyle I can explore when I get to university. It's a new start, a new place, chance to kind of reinvent myself a bit. But then between me thinking that and me going to university, I became a Christian. So quite a few things changed. Now, I've read your book. By the way, Sam's written, I think, one of the greatest books on the topic I've ever read. It's entitled, Is God Anti-Gay? In less than 90 pages, he gives one of the most accurate theological approaches to same-sex attraction that I've ever read in my life. And you know what? Let me just say this, because I, I experience this all the time. People are constantly looking for somebody who will write something who will support what they feel or believe. And you can always find somebody who will write something who will support what you feel or believe. But at Hope Community Church, we live and we proclaim the authority of the inspired Word of God, the Bible. And when we teach it, we teach it that way. And I can tell you, Sam is someone who understands that, who's an incredible theologian. But I notice in your, in your book, Sam, that you, you don't refer to it as homosexuality or gay. You don't call yourself gay. You say, I have a same-sex attraction. Why, why do you specifically describe it that way? Yeah. Um, where I come from, the, the word gay means more than just that you're attracted to, to people of the same gender as yourself. Um, the word gay tends to be an identity. And so it's not just part of what I feel, it's, it's who I am. Hmm. And as a Christian, I don't believe my identity, I don't believe anyone's identity is truly found in their sexual feelings. And so I, I don't like the phrase, I am gay, because it, it, in, it indicates this is, this is the key to who I am. 
And as a Christian, I have a different understanding of what it means to be a human being, where our identity is found. So it's a bit, a bit more kind of clunky to say I experience same-sex attraction, but for me, it, it's just a bit more nuanced than just saying I'm gay. So right before you head off to college, you become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and that begins to change how you feel about this issue. What was going on? It was great. So I, you know, just to encourage those of you who are involved in, in youth ministry here, I was invited by a, a Christian mate along to the, to the church youth ministry back home, and I'd never heard the gospel before. I, I assumed Christianity was about God rewarding good people, and the very first meeting I went to of this youth ministry, I, I heard that it's all about God forgiving bad people. Mm. I'd never heard that in my life, even growing up in England. And it began to make me realize, that the person was speaking from the teaching of Jesus, it began to make me realize Jesus wasn't who I thought he was. I'd imagine Jesus as being a kind of cross between Gandhi and one of the Bee Gees. <laughs> this kind of blonde haired dude who said, be kind to your neighbor, that kind of thing. And I began to realize actually the teaching of Jesus was more compelling than I'd realized, more frustrating in many ways than I'd realized, but so gripping and so engaging. And as I, I started to read through one of the Gospels, I can't remember which one it was now, and I had that experience, and I know many Christians have had this experience, where you're reading a Gospel, but you discover the Gospel is reading you. And actually, as you study the, the teaching of Jesus God is laying your heart bare before you and showing you the kind of person you are. So I began to realize as I was hearing the gospel, as I was reading the Bible for myself, began to realize that I needed Jesus Christ. I'd been a pretty well-behaved teenager. I'd never gone off the rails. But I'd been a self-righteous teenager because I'd never been off the rails. And so I was a bit, a bit obnoxious, a bit self-righteous, and began to realize that my heart British. was... Yeah, but even, British. even for a British person... Oh, wow! So just, you know, this is... Can you imagine it? Um, God, is, God is carefully sanctifying my, my Britishness in lots of ways. Um, so, yeah, I began to realize that my heart wasn't naturally lined up with the way God had made me to be. And therefore, I needed to, to come back to the Lord. I needed to know Him. I needed to receive forgiveness, needed the new birth Jesus tells us about, uh, and I needed a new nature. So I became a Christian, and that therefore gave me a, just a different framework for thinking through this, this whole issue of same-sex attraction. But even after becoming a Christian, you pretty much kept this to yourself, right? Yeah. When did you decide to finally begin to tell others that, that you were a Christian, but yet you had this same-sex attraction? Yeah, I... I was becoming aware as a Christian of, of what, I, what the Bible says on these things. Um, at that stage, I was thinking, if I ignore this issue, maybe it will go away. Um, I didn't want to be same-sex attracted. Um, I wanted to follow the kind of standard Christian script of meet a nice girl, settle down, get married, begin a family, that kind of thing. And same-sex attraction didn't fit that. It didn't, that didn't work. Um, so I thought, well, if I just ignore this, maybe it will go away and I can just kind of proceed as planned. Um, but as the years went on, I began to realize this issue wasn't going away. It does for some people. I've, I've met many people who've said to me that they've gone through an, ex an experience of same-sex attraction, maybe for a few months, maybe for a few years, often during teenage years, 
which is then just, it's just gone of its own accord. But in my case, it didn't go away. Mm. And as I kind of started to get into my, I guess, mid-twenties, um, I realized I can't cope with this issue on my own. Uh, there were times that it was particularly eating me up. It was affecting some of the friendships I had. Um, I was struggling with, with different kinds of temptation. And I thought, I, I, need, I just need people to know about this who can support me, encourage me, walk through life with me on this issue. But I was very nervous of telling Christian friends. I, for some reason, had thought they may so disapprove that they don't want to be my friend anymore. Mm. This may just make me beyond the pale for them. But um, my, my anxieties, in, in hindsight, weren't justified at all. My, my friends were, were wonderful. And without exception, as I began nervously uh, to share this issue with them, I had nothing but, but support, affirmation, love, encouragement. And it had the wonderful effect of making what were already good friends even closer. As I shared something very personal and, and vulnerable with them, actually it began to, to become two-way. People would begin to share and open up with me on different things in their lives. So it's a wonderful thing to do, to be open with, with so you, So we got probably about 10,000 people listening to you this weekend. This is going to be on the internet, so thousands more from all across the country will actually be watching. And there's going to be a lot of people who are carrying this secret. Based on your experience, what would your advice to them be? My advice would be, God, God does not design us to, to battle our, these, these kinds of battles on our own. He's, he's designed us to, to fellowship with Him, so it's wonderful. One of the great blessings as a Christian is you can talk to God about all the, the worst stuff in your life, all the things you feel most ashamed of, it is safe to bring to God and to talk to Him about. But actually, He's also designed us to live in community and therefore designed us to share our struggles with, with one another. So if there's anyone here or, or watching or listening for whom this is an issue and you've never told anyone, my advice is you don't have to be public. The whole world doesn't need to know about this, but it, it would be great for one or two or three Christian friends to know who can support you and encourage you. Um, I always think that the devil thrives on secrecy. When we address an issue and share it, we're, we're bringing it into the light of day. We can see it in a truer perspective. We can get wisdom on it. But as long as it's a secret, we don't get any of those things. Mm. So pray for at least one Christian who just knows a bit about life, who's not shockable, and, and share it with them. Now, I've read the book, and I know that through the study of Scripture and through spending time with God, the decision you decided was, I can't do anything about having a same-sex attraction, but I can make a decision about how I live my life. And you decided that you were going to live a life of purity, you were going to live a life of celibacy. Um, what scriptures would kind of help you land in that position? Yeah, I mean, there are many Bible passages we could, we could look at, but there were two particular scriptures that have really helped shape my thinking on this. They're both actually from Matthew's Gospel. Uh, the first is in Matthew 15, where Jesus is speaking to um, some of the religious leaders of his, of his day, and he says these words to them in Matthew 15, 19. Jesus says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, 
slander. These are what defile a person. So Jesus is showing us actually that the, the big problems we have in life come from inside our heart. That is, that is where sin comes from. Um, all of us have things in our heart that mean we're not right with God by nature. We can't, by nature, come into relationship with him without the forgiveness of, of Christ. Um, and one of the things Jesus includes there is, is sexual immorality. And that translates a Greek word, porneia, which is where we get the word pornography from. And it was well known as a, as a phrase in Jesus' day that describes all sexual activity outside of marriage. So that would include premarital sex, it would include adultery, it would include prostitution, and it would have included in Jesus' day homosexual behavior as well. And Jesus says any of that sexual behavior makes us unclean before God. It's not the only thing that makes us unclean, lots of other things do as well. But that was one of the things I noticed Jesus teaching. And then just a couple of pages later, uh, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus again is having a, a disagreement with the Pharisees, um, and they, they try to trap him. They, they've already decided they don't like him, so they're going to try and trap him. And they ask him this question in Matthew 19 verse 3, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Um, some of the rabbis at the time, we, we know this from the, the historical kind of records, some of the rabbis were teaching, you could divorce your wife if she burnt your meal. That was becoming a popular teaching. And so the Pharisees were thinking, this is great. We can, we can get Jesus on this. Because if Jesus agrees and says, yeah, it's fine to divorce your wife for that kind of reason, they can hit him and say, well, actually, you're soft on sin. You're soft on the Old Testament law. You're soft on Moses. But if Jesus says, no, of course you can't. That's ridiculous, just divorcing your wife for any reason. They can then hit Jesus by saying, well, Jesus, you are out of touch with popular culture. So they thought they had one over Jesus, and just as a warning to any of us, if you ever think you've got <laughs> Jesus in that kind of headlock, just brace yourself, because you are about to get clobbered. <laughs> so Jesus replies to them uh, with these words in Matthew 19, 4. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now the first thing Jesus is doing there is he's, I'm sure he's winding them up. Okay, if you were a Pharisee, you would have memorized huge chunks of the Old Testament off by heart. So all those bits of the Old Testament some of us struggle to read even once, they had learned word for word off by heart, whole books of the Old Testament. And yet Jesus says to them, have you not read? It's a real dig. And then he quotes, he quotes Genesis 1. So Jesus says in effect, you know, have you read, the, have you come across the, the Bible at all, Mr. Pharisee? <laughs> I don't know, did you get as far as, I don't know, Genesis chapter 1 in your Bible reading? <laughs> so he's, he's having a pop at them. But he quotes Genesis 1, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? That's Genesis 1. And Jesus continues, quoting then Genesis 2, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So what Jesus is doing, he's saying Genesis 1 shows us God made us male and female. Genesis 2 shows us for that reason we have this thing called marriage. 
God made us male and female, therefore a man leaves his father and mother and, and becomes united to his wife. So in other words, Jesus says, it is because we have gender that we have marriage. Marriage is, is predicated on gender. Because we are male and female, we have this phenomenon of, of marriage. And then a bit later on, just later on in that passage, Jesus talks about the two becoming one flesh and how actually God is the one who makes them one flesh. And uh, shows us just how big a deal that is. And then the disciples freak out. Uh, they can't cope with this. So Matthew 19, verse 10, the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, if that's the case, it's better not to marry. You know, this is, whoa, Jesus, this, this sounds a bit serious. That sounds a bit like commitment. <laughs> so maybe, maybe we'll just give the whole marriage thing a, a miss. And it's very interesting. They question whether or not to get married, and Jesus doesn't say to them, yeah, you know, maybe live together for a while first, try before you buy. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says to them, he starts talking about eunuchs. And eunuchs were the people in Jesus' day who were celibate, whether through choice or through circumstance. And so it's interesting, the moment people question whether or not to get married, Jesus talks about celibacy. So here's what I learned, uh, just even from those two passages in Matthew. Jesus says, any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage is a sin. Marriage is between a man and a woman, and the only godly alternative to marriage is to be celibate, is to be single. Now, I know people hearing that, their first reaction is, well, that's not fair, especially, especially if someone feels, God made me this way, but then God's telling me that I can't experience this close, intimate relationship with someone else. It's not fair. So what would you, what would you say to that individual? Yeah. Um, so two things are true for, for those of us of same-sex attraction. We have these feelings. They, those feelings feel natural to us. That's one thing that's true. The second thing that's true is we know God created us. But what isn't true is to say God created us to have those feelings. God God created us same-sex attracted. Um, we, we know from Genesis 1 that God created us. God created all of us. We know too from Genesis 3 that sin has distorted us. It has distorted every single area of life for all of us. And therefore the feelings we have, whatever, whether they're sexual or whatever other kinds of feelings they are, all of our feelings have been affected by sin. They've been distorted and tainted by sin. And therefore, we, need to, we mustn't assume that what feels natural to me is, is morally right and what created, God created me to, to want to do. That's true for all of us because actually what feels natural to me is probably a sign that I need a new nature. We're all born with certain feelings certain tendencies, certain predilections, um, dispositions, but it doesn't mean that those things are right. So this isn't homophobic. This is, this is God's call to purity. God created yeah. sex, which is a great idea on God's part. I mean, right up there with butter pecan ice cream in the NFL in my book. But, um, but he said to experience it is for a man and a woman in marriage. Yeah. So that means whether it's a same-sex attraction, whether it is you're single, 
purity applies to the person who is married but may have feelings to want to stray outside of the marriage. That feeling, we've heard this all the time, but it feels so right, yeah? But purity is the standard that God has called us to. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, Looking back over your life, what have been some of the most uh, difficult issues in taking this stance, saying, I'm going to live this celibate life, I'm going to live sexually pure before God? Yeah, it's worth saying as well, as you said, we're all, we're all called to, to sexual purity in whatever circumstance we're in. Um, so it's not the case that Jesus is giving some people a free pass and saying, you get everything your way sexually and other people don't. All of us have a constraint on us. Mm-hmm. All of us need to exercise discipline and self-control, whether we're married, whether we're, whether we're single. Um, if, if I may... All of us have sinful sexual desires. All of us are attracted to things that we shouldn't be. So if I can, if I can put it this, this, this bluntly, all of us are perverts. <laughs> it doesn't sound as offensive when you say it with your accent. I, <laughs> yeah. Now if I say you want your pervert, see that doesn't sound as good as you, the way you say it. Say it with an English accent. <laughs> I can't try it. <laughs> it all sounds Russian. Um, <laughs> but the point is that, that all of us are skewed. Even in just the area of our sexual desires, all of us are broken. All of us are skewed. In that sense, no one is straight. We're all broken. So that's, that's the case. It is, like you say, it's not homophobia. This is the case for everyone. Mm-hmm. But uh, particularly for me with with same-sex attraction, being committed to following Jesus' word um, means that I have to be committed to to purity. And some of the things that are are difficult about doing that with same-sex attraction, one is obviously sexual temptation. And with all of us, that that comes in, in seasons. I can go for long periods of time without barely being conscious of same-sex attraction. There are other periods where it feels like the battle is furious. So that's one issue. Uh, with my same-sex attraction, and I've, I've found that this is the case with a lot of other people, not, I'm sure, for everyone without exception with same-sex attraction, but as well as the, the sexual attraction, there is often also an idolatry. And so it's not just that, hey, there's, there's a there's a man I feel sexually attracted to, but actually, there's someone I kind of wish I was. There's someone who seems to embody what I wish I could be. And so, in my case, and this is the case for a number of folks, before the sexual feelings come, there is already a very deep emotional attachment, a very, a very deep emotional over-dependency. And so there's, there's an idolatry there that needs to be resisted and fought as well. And then another difficulty is, is the, life of, <clears throat> excuse me, the life of singleness. Um, we live in a culture where all the focus is on romantic and sexual relationships, where that is where you go to for all your intimacy and for all your companionship and friendship. And so to be single in this kind of society can feel at times very isolating. And oftentimes that that cultural way of thinking seeps into church life too. And and sometimes even in in church culture we can, the focus can be on the couple, the family, and it can be quite hard for single people to feel like they've got companionship, they've got friendship, 
they've got community. So that's a, that's a challenge to all of us as, as churches to make sure actually we are extending a sense of community to everyone. Now, one of the great tragedies of this is the number of people who take their life because they have these feelings, they don't share them, they don't know how to process them. What encouragement would you give them when it comes to making a decision to be obedient to God and live your life this way? Uh, there, there have been, um, we will know of stories just in the news in the last few months, there have been some heartbreaking and unspeakably tragic things that have happened, particularly with, with young people going through turmoil, taking their own lives. And as, as Christians, we above all feel the tragedy of that because we know how precious every life is to, to God. One of the things we, we can say to people and we can say to our culture as Christians is this idea that you are your sexuality is dehumanizing. It is a, a woefully inadequate way of accounting for what a human being is. And to say to someone that in order for your life to be fulfilled, you have to fulfill your sexual desires, that puts an enormous pressure on someone to feel sexually fulfilled. If you are your sexuality, then your sexuality is everything. Your whole sense of self-worth, your whole sense of self-actualization, of being fulfilled, of being whole and complete, is now contingent on being sexually fulfilled. That is not how we are designed to find our fulfillment. And the kind of world we live in, very few people do feel completely sexually fulfilled. And so if we make that the center of our humanity, the center of what makes life real, then actually we are, we are going to find that there are going to be these very tragic instances. So one of the things the gospel does is it liberates us from that kind of I think it's a tyranny. How about the person who is gay and their thought is, the gospel's not for me. The gospel can't be for me. What would you say? It is for everyone. It is for every single person God has created. So the gospel is not, it is not the product of the Christian community that we're trying to pitch to people and, and sell to them. It is the, the creator God bringing people back to himself. And so the gospel is for anyone who has been created by God the Father. And last time I checked, that was everyone. Mm. And so the gospel is for all people. Um, and because of that, we can say to our friends, and sometimes we need to say this to ourselves, God loves that person more than anybody else does in this universe. He is more committed to their happiness than they are. And God always knows what is best for, for how we should live. So we're not trying to foist a lifestyle upon someone that is just not, they're just not designed for. This is God saying, I made you, I created you. Trust me to know what is best for you. And if we go according to God's word, we are living with the grain of who God has made us to be. So the gospel, therefore, is for everyone. Even if it feels... Costly, even if it feels like, well, hang on a sec, but I've got all these other things that, that mean everything to me. The gospel is, is for everyone. And, and for everyone, there's also a, an enormous cost. 
you know, we all have things that are, have become sacred to us that Jesus says we have to give to him. Um, he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And we've domesticated that. We've turned it into deny yourself means I won't have thirds of dessert. Uh, take up your cross, that is, that's having Aunt Mildred to stay over the Christmas holidays. But actually, to take up your cross at the time of Jesus, that was to declare your life forfeit. And of all the images Jesus could have used to follow him, that is the one he picks. To follow him is to give our lives to him. And for every single one of us, that will mean giving to Jesus our sense of who we are, our own identity, that, that kind of me that I've created and finessed over the years, all of it gets handed over to Jesus. It's interesting you say that because I'm, I talk with a lot of parents, or maybe it's a brother who has a sibling or a sister who has a sibling who's gay, and yet they know what the Bible says about homosexuality, but yet then there's a part of them that says, I just want them to be happy. Mm. And I think that if they could get married and, and have a, a lifelong monogamy, that they would be happy. What would you say to that parent who just says, I just want my child to be able to be happy? Yeah, I'd, I'd say two things. The, fir the first thing is that actually, again, a romantic partnership, marriage, again, that is not designed to fulfill us. I was talking to a friend just last week who said to me, speaking of his own marriage, he said, my marriage is far better than I ever imagined it would be, and it's far better than I know I deserve it to be, and yet it is still not enough. If we live for our marriage, our marriage is, is bearing a burden it was never designed to bear. So that's the first thing. We mustn't think that marriage or a sexual partnership is the key to happiness. That is a, that is a distorted way to think. It's a great gift from God, but it is not the center of, of what fulfills us. The second thing I'll say again is that God knows what makes for human happiness and, and flourishing far more than we do. And so if you're a parent, thinking of your own children, again, remind yourselves, God loves your child more than you do. God created your child. All those things you love about your child and get a real kick out of, those things were God's idea. He came up with the idea of your child and who they are. He loves them more than you do. He knows them more deeply than you do. He's more committed to their long-term and eternal happiness than you will ever be. So I would, I would want to say, I hope gently, but I'd want to say clearly, why do you think you know more than God does about what will be best for your child? Let me just say this to us as a congregation, because the issue is um, that we're, culture's pushing on us is the issue of same-sex marriage. So let me just make a very simple declaration. Uh, we will not be involved in, in the weddings of same-sex couples because it does not fit the biblical criteria of a man and a woman getting married. But before you think, well, that's homophobic, let me also express some other things. We also will not be involved in the wedding of two people. One is a Christian and one is a non-Christian because the Bible makes it very clear that two people should not be unequally yoked together. And again, because God is smarter and wiser than we are, he knows the automatic complications and stresses that come into a relationship when you're marrying two different people who have totally different value systems. Because if you're truly a, a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're truly taking up your cross daily, 
you're going to have a different value system than a person who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. It's going, to, it's going to impact how you communicate, how you relate, how you raise your children, what you do religiously. It's going to relate. It's going to, it's going to impact all of those areas. So we're not, we won't be involved in that. We will not be involved in the wedding of two people who are living together and not being sexually pure. We will help you. We will actually find a place for you to live free in the home with someone so that you can separate until you're wedded. And we'll ask you to pledge to stay morally pure to that point. Now, you can lie to us. God knows, right? But we will not knowingly marry two people who are living together who are not being sexually pure. Uh, we won't marry two people who, have, who don't have biblical grounds for divorce. Now, I'm going to talk about that next weekend. What are the issues where you can get divorced and remarried from God's perspective? And many of you have, and the issue is, you know, it's not to beat you up. It's to let you know from here on out this is what God's standard is. If you get into a marriage or you're in marriage, now you know what God's standard is. There's very few reasons God allows it. So if you come to me and say, hey, I want to marry this guy. He's a great guy. And I find out you've been divorced two or three times, and it's because, well, I just wasn't happy or my expectations weren't being met. We, we will not be involved in that wedding. And we will counsel you through that, and we'll talk to you why, and we'll explain much of this next week. But this is, this is, not, this is not homophobic. This is, this is a biblical standard of honoring marriage as God designed it. Here's the problem. We've gotten so far from that, this kind of stuff blows our minds. But we're talking about how do we experience marriage as God intended it. One last question for you. Uh, we're, we're all about loving people where they are. We're about reaching the triangle, uh, changing the world. That would include every segment of the population. Um, what can we as a church do more effectively? Maybe things we need to rethink, maybe things that we need to do proactively to be more engaged in addressing gays, homosexuality, same-sex attraction in our community. There are a couple of things. One is is we need to have a, a church culture where, again, these issues are, are safe to talk about, uh, where it's, it's safe to say, this is an issue for me, and where it would therefore be safe for, for a gay couple to start coming and, and to, to feel that they are, are welcome, that people are glad to have them there, um, where they can be part of the community and, and be you know, people reaching out in, in friendship and love. So that's one thing, that we, we, we don't make any issues the Bible talks about that people experience off limits. So we've, we've all got to, whatever our struggles are, we've got to have a community where we can share those things and talk them through and think about them. I think the other thing is we, we need to open our homes, we need to open our lives in friendship to people from the gay community. That's the case with any, any kind of people that we want to reach. It's not just going to be that we, we fire kind of Christian volleys over the fence but actually, we, we want to open our homes. We want to be good friends to people. Um, I'm always encouraged if a Christian comes up to me and says, I've been invited to a gay wedding. Do I go or not? I always want to say, well, thank you for being the kind of Christian that, and the kind of friend that they want to invite to their wedding. Uh, and that, that should be the goal for us. If we're wanting to reach this particular group of people, this particular community, to be the very best kind of friends we can be to them. I often say you can never influence someone who doesn't feel accepted by you. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. It yeah. means I accept you the way God accepted me totally and unconditionally. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's what we have to be able to build, not just with one segment of society, but every, every yeah. segment of society. 
We have a couple of resources that are available. I, I'd like to tell you that you can pick up this book today, but we sold out, and that's what you guys get for coming to the last service every week. But anyway, um, we do have more ordered. They will be here by next weekend. They're $5. We'll make sure you know where you can pick those up. You can also go online. You can get this, uh, Is God Anti-Gay? I think every, every home should have this book. It is a resource. It is a manual because you're going to, co you're going to, come, in, you're going to come in across this issue Someone you work with, a child, a relative, uh, a friend, you're going to come across this issue, and you might as well understand from a true biblical position what God's Word has to say about it. And this will take you less than an hour to read, and it will give you some incredible, incredible information, and it may also change your thinking. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, livingout.org. Thank you. There's a, a website me and some friends back in the UK have, have put together, livingout.org. Um, it's really, it's a group of us who, who all experience same-sex attraction, are, are, are good friends with one another, and we decided that it, it would be good to create a website where we could, we could share stories of Christians working through this issue. Um, we're conscious that, that many people today, what informs their view on this issue is the stories they hear. And in the world around us, we're not short of stories of people embracing a gay identity, embracing a gay lifestyle, we wanted to present a different kind of narrative and to provide some worked examples of, of Christians dealing with this issue personally and yet wanting to remain faithful to the, the teaching of Scripture. So the, the website, the main thing is testimonies. We, we got them all prof uh, professionally filmed. We hope that that way people can share them on YouTube and all the rest of it and through social media. Um, there's, there's articles, there's answers to common questions, there's book reviews and other things as well. Uh, if you go on the website, you'll, you'll notice that so far all the testimonies are from English people. So we can, we can put subtitles. Blokes, up, I if believe. That would have. Would be English, English blokes, chaps. Um, we are in the process of, of sourcing and collecting testimonies from a, a wider range of people. So we hope in the coming months to add numerous more testimonies from people from different places, different parts of the world. We're getting emails from... Uh, we, we, we forget that when we set up a website, the whole world can see it. And we've been getting emails from all over the world from Christians saying, I now realize for the first time I'm not the only one who struggles with this issue. And particularly for those who, who may be struggling, particularly maybe for some of us who are in the, the church family here who are, are younger, struggling with this issue, we hope that these testimonies would just give you a different kind of script to what the world would give you on how to respond to this kind of issue. Also, we have a website here, care at gethope.net. If you want to talk to us, uh, you may be a family, uh, maybe you have a child that is gay and you're wondering how to process this. We have access to great resources. Uh, small groups, support groups that you can be a part of because I know as parents it's a shock. It's a shock. It's often not we, I, what we ideally expect and dream for our child and we know that it can be a difficult position for them to be in but we have those kinds of resources available and we would, we would absolutely love to hear from you and you will hear back um, from us. One last question. I, mean, I know we got to go but often people will say how can you be a pastor and have this area that you struggle with I love your answer. It's like, show me a pastor who's not struggling in some area of their life, and I'll show you a liar. But uh, I, I want to thank you so much for having the courage to be here with us. 
Uh, as I've said, I've admired you as a writer, as a theologian, as a man of God. But having spent this weekend with you, it's, it's, I've, I admire you as, as a friend, and I appreciate your friendship. And I want to thank you. Would you let Sam know how much we appreciate him being here with us this weekend? And I'm going to ask you to close us in prayer. Would you do that, sir? We'd love to. Let's pray. Our Father, your word to us is sweeter than honey. It is good to us. It's not always an easy word for us to follow, but Father, it is always a good word for us to follow. So for each one of us, Father, seeking to, to know Christ and to live for him, we know that there is great cost in following Jesus, and yet there is such wonderful blessing to be had in knowing you, to be walking in your ways, to have your fatherly presence in our lives, to know our sins are forgiven, to have your spirit animating us, changing our hearts and minds. Father, help each one of us with whatever battles and struggles we have. Help us, please, to be faithful to you. Uh, we love all that you've done for us. We love you, and we want to bring honor to Jesus. Help us to do that, we pray, because we ask it in his name. Amen.